0: Well, hello again, listeners. This is Mark Dennis with Carmelite Conversations. Uh, this evening, we're going to begin the study of the Interior Castles by Saint Teresa of Avila. And I'm joined again, as I am this uh, or each week, by Francis Harry, a member also of the Dayton community of Carmelite. Good evening, Francis. How are you?
1: Blessed, Mark. Thank you for inviting me to be with you again. It's always, such a joy.
0: Well, I'm glad you were able to get through safely. We, uh, again, it seems we've talked about this uh, too many weeks now as we've been hosting this uh, series of programs on Carmelite conversations, Carmelite prayer, and uh, an understanding, a deeper understanding of the various saints of Carmel. But it seems too often we've had to talk about the unfortunate weather uh, that's turned uh, its way here, both in Dayton uh, and, and, unfortunately, across the country. We've had a, a rough uh, Ten days, certainly uh, through the southeast and major parts of the Midwest, uh, we need to be lifting up our uh, brothers and sisters in prayer this week, uh, most especially those who have lost their lives, many who have lost homes, and, and certainly the destruction of, uh, of in some cases, entire towns throughout the southeast.
1: And now the threat of tornado. I mean, um, flooding. So, uh, oh, well, may all that water be purifying for us, and, you know, bring us closer to God.
0: We pray that it will, and we know, listeners, that uh, all trials, all the tribulations we go through, the Carmelite School of Prayer teaches us, are a means of both reconciliation and purification. It's all in how we deal with these, and one of the ways that we deal with them is to turn to the interior where our soul is the house of our blessed Trinity, and most especially in the case of our discussions this evening, the Holy Spirit who guides us and directs us and draws us into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our Holy Father. And through that uh, indwelling and through that experience in prayer uh, of the Holy Spirit and of that union with our Lord, we are given the strength to deal with whatever the trials life may turn our way, be it weather or economic difficulties, the relationships that are stressed and challenged at times, we know that through this deepening relationship in prayer, I'll tell you, Francis, and I've said this to you many times, we've shared our experiences, having now spent some time in prayer and beginning to develop in a deeper way my prayer life, I don't know how people get through the day without prayer. I don't understand how they uh, have the strength to get through the trials. Like, throws our way.
1: I'm with you. I'm thinking uh, our prayer helps us to focus our faith and hope on God that, you know, good will come out of all of this. And so, if you're not in a prayer mode, you're just kind of accepting it and kind of just, you know, uh, it it doesn't, it loses its depth of meaning for life. And it's just kind of living on the surface and it's just kind of being a spectator instead of a. Participant in life.
0: Trying to shoulder it. Somebody uh, said one time, I remember sharing uh, um, an experience. This person said, oh, I think the challenge in life is simply shouldering it, just simply dealing with it and having both a military background and, and uh, a bit of a sports background. I, I can relate to that experience. I can relate to that perspective that says we have to bear up under the burden of suffering and trial and tribulation. And I accept that challenge, uh, but at the same time, I recognize our real strength comes from the Lord. And why wouldn't we continue to draw on that strength? Why wouldn't we deep, uh, deeply dip into that well of strength uh, that is provided for us by the Holy Spirit? And we don't have to go seeking very far. All we have to do is look to the interior. Our, our Mother, St. Teresa of Avila, is going to teach us about that this evening. And I'm looking forward to getting into the uh, teaching, getting into the uh, explanation of the interior castles. But as we always do, let's begin with prayer. You know, there were a number of blessings this weekend, listeners. We had, of course, Divine Mercy Sunday. We had the beatification of uh, Blessed Now John Paul II. We had the first day of our Blessed Mother, the month of May. And one other uh, feast that actually went a bit unnoticed, of course the Church doesn't acknowledge this on a Sunday because Sunday uh, would take precedence, but it happened to be on this Sunday the prayer, uh, or the feast, rather, of St. Joseph the Workman. And uh, St. Teresa herself had great devotion to St. Joseph. In fact, I'm quoting from her autobiography, where she says, those persons who give themselves to prayer should, in a special manner, always have great devotion to St. Joseph. And, of course, we in Carmel, Francis, do have a great devotion to St. Joseph. I want to pray the prayer to St. Joseph the workman, so that we take a moment to acknowledge uh, St. Joseph and the significant role he plays both in Carmel and in our individual prayer lives. O glorious St. Joseph, model of all those who are devoted to labor, obtain for us the grace to work conscientiously, putting the call of duty above our natural inclinations, to work with gratitude and joy in a spirit of penance for the remission of our sins, considering it an honor to employ and develop by means of labor the gifts received from God, to work with order, peace, moderation, and patience, without ever shirking from our from weariness and difficulties. To work, above all, with purity of intention and detachment from self, having always death before our eyes, and the account that we must render for lost time, or talents wasted, of good omitted, of vain complacency and success, so fatal to the work of God. Let us work all for Jesus, all through Mary, all after thine example, O Patriarch Saint Joseph. Such shall be our watchword in life and in death. Amen. Amen. Francis, as we, uh, just before actually we got on the air, we were having a brief discussion ourselves about the significance of the title that our mother chose of the interior castle and the significance of the imagery of the castle in prayer, and in the message that she wanted to communicate in this book, which she, of course, wrote for her nuns, her sisters, who were looking for guidance in prayer. Talk a little bit about the significance of that imagery of the castle, would you?
1: Well, the castle, if you're thinking uh, in Teresa's day, uh, she's writing this in the late 1500s. And, you know, this was a castle that was to defend the people, and the people were going to have an agreement, with the feudal lord or whoever was in charge of that castle. Uh, and if they would protect them, then, you know, they would honor them and would bring them, you know, uh, some of their farm goods or, you know, uh, their allegiance, you know. So uh, it's very important for us to, to be thinking about this castle and that imagery of its strength, its um, uh, the determination to be a people together, in, united in purpose, and uh, to have somebody that you know will look over you. And, of course, the king of the castle, as we think of it interiorly, would be God. And so Teresa is going to take this image of the castle into the interior of the soul. And in this soul, she says that this interior castle is like a a multifaceted diamond. And so when you look at the diamonds, especially you ladies out there, they've got those big rocks on your fingers, um, you see those many facets, and the more facets, you know, it gives all that dimension and beauty and the light reflects in so many different ways. And yet, as we take that image and we see that as the soul, we can see the purity of it. And so, Teresa's taking this image and saying, God is in the center, and on the outside is the entry, just like the moat around the castle, in in the days, and and in that mode are the alligators and and things that prevent us from going across the drawbridge.
0: She uses some remarkable imagery. We're going to get into a little bit of it here later in the discussion, the conversation, but she really does use some remarkable uh, imagery to express what challenges any individual face who begins to deepen their prayer life and works to, we've spoken so much over the past weeks about this idea of entering in recollection. You use the, the imagery of the turtle, which I think is very good. I've used the imagery of the threading of the needle and bringing all the faculties and senses together. But Teresa is now going to take us through this very deliberate analogy to the castle and the what she defines as the seven interior castles. But she cautions us not to think of this first as a sort of sequential series of steps, you can go back and forth between these various uh, interior dwellings, she calls them, but also not to get locked onto the number seven, that there are actually thousands, I think she even uses the word millions, of rooms here. In other words, individual uh, nuances of the personality being what they are. There's room in this castle for everybody, isn't there?
1: Right, and even though she's using this as an image uh, we know that the soul is not just a little bitty, teeny thing, but, but huge and expansive and spacious. But she's taking this, um, and I, I'm thinking of a, a puzzle ball that my son had. And on the outside were several different colors, and this is a sphere. And as you went interior, there were different uh, spheres. So there were concentric circles, and each circle got smaller. So in Teresa's imagery, this outside uh, dwelling, the first mansion, would be, you know, full of many more rooms. You know, and as you got progressively interior, there would be less rooms. But you should want to explore all these rooms because they help you learn about yourself, learn about others, and learn about God and His graces and favors and blessings for you and how He takes these trials and temptations and turns them into good. So this is just a model, but you can be in one mansion one day primarily, and then in the next moment, maybe visit another one, um, or maybe go up and down, or side to side, or in and out, you know, so all the different ways you can move, this is possible.
0: There is a sense of, uh, I used the word a moment ago, uh, that we wouldn't want to think of it as sort of a sequential uh, series of uh, steps, progress, if you will. But there is a progression, there is an advancement as you enter deeper and deeper into the castle. The light, becomes brighter. Of course, the light is in the very center of the castle. The challenges that we face from what she uses, again, I'll, I'll, I'll use some of her terminology, the snakes and the reptiles and the vipers and so forth, begin to be minimized as we enter deeper into that prayer experience. We go deeper into the soul. And I want to pick up on one thing you said, because it's so important. So often when, I think anyway, when our listeners hear us talk about entering the quiet, the silence, and so forth, the solitude, the solitude, they begin to think of a confining space. In fact, the space hidden within our soul is larger than the very space we live in on the face of this earth, isn't it? Yeah. That's a larger uh, experience for us. In fact, Scripture tells us, he brought me into to the spacious place. Uh, he, it, scripture talks about, David talks about in the Psalms, being brought into this majestic, open space, this, this broad expanse that had beauty and landscape and and light. That's the experience that Teresa is telling us about in this entering into the deeper uh, stages of the interior castle.
1: Well, you know, on the outside, so you can think of it as as black, pitch black, very dark, because the the light from the center is always shining. But because of our sin and how we have soiled this diamond, you know, we have darkened it ourselves. And as we progressively uh, lose our sins, Stop sinning and respond to the graces God offers. Then we go more interior. So maybe we get to the red glow, and then maybe to the yellow. But I, I like to use this. Um, uh, there's a diamond ring that you can buy at these stores, <laughs> and I like to use it as an image because um, it'll twist, and then a light will pop on it, and it makes me think of the light of God, <laughs> and that's the center of the soul. So all of this stuff that we're going to be talking about is is our life, but it's helping us to Number one, understand the beauty and dignity of our soul and who lives within, and the damage that sin can do. Because I think society today, like our Pope Benedict has told us, has lost the sense of sin.
0: We have. uh, We're going to talk about that because Teresa spends a a full chapter, really, talking about the dangers of sin. And and I think uh, there is some risk that in our modern society with so much... uh, uh, Posing itself on our hearts and our minds, and and she uses the term faculties. We may have lost a real sense of sin and the the, uh, appreciation for how much damage sin has done to us, both physically, psychologically, and most importantly, spiritually.
1: And then also the dignity of our soul. Because if we don't understand the dignity of our soul, then we won't value it, and we won't keep from sinning so much. Right. So, you know, I really love this book because this is the one book that helped me realize that growing in prayer... Really does happen. You know, I never stopped to think about it. And that God really is present. And so I, I think that this is an important uh, book for everyone to get acquainted with and to study and to understand. And I bet you found it to be a, a, a huge awakening too, as far as understanding the different uh, progression. I,
0: I did. You know, John Paul II is really the one who brought me to uh, St. Teresa when John Paul II began his catechesis, his Wednesday uh, homilies on uh, deepening the spiritual life, and there were a number of folks he pointed out, St. Therese, of course, St. Teresa, St. John, uh, Catherine of Siena, St. Francis de Sales, all of whom I have great devotion to. Uh, One of the things I remember him saying was the idea, uh, communicating the idea that there is the possibility of progress in prayer, and that was new to me. I didn't really understand that. I thought was something you simply did with, with a good deal of discipline and frequency, and it sustained you certainly, but this idea that you could make progress in prayer, uh, he, uh, of course, expressed very well, and he drew that directly from Teresa's writing.
1: And I don't think about that very often in our own lives. I mean, we're so used to thinking about progressing in the job and progressing in school but now, let's think about, listeners, let's think about progressing within your
0: soul. In our spiritual life. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'd like to encourage you to participate in our conversation this evening. If you'd like to, our number is one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. 333 6279 If you've got a question, if you've got something to share about your own experience in prayer, uh, something where you've either gained a victory or maybe there's a dry spot you've entered. Uh, and as we get into these seven castles, Teresa's going to help us understand how some of that comes about. Uh, we'd very much like to have you participate in the conversation with us. And again, that number is one 866 Well, Francis, we could go on for a long time. I think talking about our appreciation for the text, perhaps we should get into the text. Uh, At this point, I I, want to talk just briefly about something that Teresa says is very important for entry into this prayer experience, not the text per se, but as we begin prayer. She talks about the importance of obedience, and the ability to stay on a path stems from our willingness to be obedient. Now, we must put this in context. She's, of course, writing to her sisters in the convent. What does this obedience mean to us? Let me offer the first response to my own question. Clearly it means obedience to the Magisterium and to the Catholic Church. I don't think anybody uh, would debate that. Uh, that is our call uh, in terms of our obedience to our faith. But we as lay people, as secular people, for those out in our audience who are, I think, predominantly secular people, what, what do we look to for obedience?
1: Well, obviously the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, the Evangelical Councils, uh, but I think more uh, to our own personal life, it would be to our spouses or to our bosses or to those who have authority over us, who, who have legal authority. So that would be policemen, firemen, government officials, uh, and and just people who have uh, any say over us. Now, we also know that we only obey when they have that rightful authority over the matter and also that it is uh, not against us know what we're taught in our faith.
0: Yeah, I think that's important this idea that if we get up every day as I've said I believe on this broadcast before and we say to the Lord I commit my day to you Lord I I uh, consecrate myself to your sacred heart blessed mother I consecrate myself to your immaculate heart if we do that and it doesn't have to be an elaborate prayer it doesn't have to be a lengthy prayer uh, but if we do it with sincerity then we have to accept that everything that happens to us throughout the course of the day is, in fact, God's will for us. He's brought those circumstances, good, bad, or indifferent, into our life, and we have to accept them in love. As I uh, heard this weekend, in fact, we were participating, uh, my son Joshua and I, in a retreat, and, and the idea was expressed. You know, we take those circumstances of our life, whatever they may be, and we absorb them as God's will, and we simply love them. And if they're evil, we love them to death, literally. And the evil departs the world when we do that. It's an amazing gift that we've been given. One, I think, uh, as we reflect on John Paul II, that he taught us so well. A love in the face of everything, in the face of every obstacle.
1: I had a great um, comment from a priest who gave me this prayer. Jesus, take my left hand. Blessed Mother, take my right. St. Michael, lead the way. And St. Joseph, watch my back. And then I added, and the Holy Spirit overshadow me.
0: Very good company.
1: But you know, Teresa brings up this obedience because um, she was ordered to write this book. And she didn't want to write this book because she'd already written um, The Way of Perfection. And yet, The Way of Perfection was in the hands of the Inquisitors, right? uh, Inquisition, sorry. And so uh, people don't have access to it. So the, uh, her confessor. Uh, Spiritual director is asking her to, you know, please write these things down about prayer because, you know, your nuns want to know them and they'll listen to you and women to women talk, you know, they'll be able to understand you. So out of obedience, she writes this book and she does it in only two months' time in the midst of great struggles. And she beseeches the Lord to um, speak for her and to come to her mind, uh, bring to her mind, you know, how he wants to resist it. And so I feel that, you know, it was a very anointed work, and of course, with her being declared a doctor of the church, we know that to be so.
0: Yeah, we have great uh, great fruit that we can draw from uh, St. Teresa of Avila, certainly on prayer, uh, John Paul II referred to her as the master of prayer. I want to get into the uh, first uh, dwelling place that she talks about here, and we've discussed already the need for obedience. She talks about the uh, significance of our current condition in the world. If we're someone who's perhaps not yet begun a discipline, a form of prayer where we're consistently engaging, we Carmelite, of course, that requires the divine office each morning and evening, uh, literally the hours morning and evening, and uh, at least 30 minutes of mental prayer, daily Mass as often as we can do it. Uh, so we have our obedience, if you will. But she talks about those who may just be entering this uh, particular uh, discipline and says, really, in, in many cases, we are blind, like the blind man in Scripture, and we're like the paralytic. We can't see the truth of our faith, we can't see the condition of our souls, and we are unable to move ourselves. Now, she does distinguish here, and this is important, uh, she wants to draw a clear distinction between those who are capable of moving forward, capable of beginning uh, with some desire uh, to enter into prayer and holiness, and those who are uh, stuck Mired, uh embedded, if you will, in a state of mortal sin where they can't even move. And she draws the image uh, of the condition she uses herself, of course, uh, though she refers to someone told me, as she does so often in her writing, to mask uh, uh, her uh, her uh, title and identity. But she, she says, someone told me about the grievous condition of the soul in mortal sin. And you almost get the sense, and listening Been reminded of this for some time, and we don't want to spend a lot of time on it. The conditions for mortal sin, of course, are grievous matter, sufficient reflection, and full consent of the will. And if those three conditions are met, uh, and of course it's up to your confessor, your priest, who you go to confession to, uh, to help you discern that. But if you find yourself in a difficult position, or you know someone who's in a difficult position, it doesn't seem to be able to even begin to take the first step in prayer and movement toward the Lord. It may be the oppressive uh, uh, trial of mortal sin uh, that's left them in that condition. Teresa's not talking about that here. She's talking about those who have at least begun to move, at least have a desire, and have uh, made an effort to enter the first dwelling place.
1: Yeah, the people who are outside of the castle are those who, you know, they don't have time for God, and their lives are are grounded in that pleasure principle and the instant gratification. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And, you know, their lives are based on the greed and the power and the prestige and control. And then here in that first mansion, you know, they, they're still stuck in some of the pleasures and vanities of the world. However, they do have good desires and they start to have an inkling that there's something more, something better, something that has more meaning and depth. And I had this idea, it's like a mother who's pregnant, and in the first eight weeks, she's, she's going through this change. All of a sudden, her perspective on life is changing. She's got to take care of this developing little one within her. And so, to me, the person that's in that first man, it's like a little light is shining through. It's getting found a little spot, like a star in the sky twinkling. And they're starting to respond, and they're starting to see that, oh, well, you know, I can pray a little, and, and, yeah, I can listen to a sermon or, you know, well, especially at Easter and Christmas, you know. <laughs> um, but but they're, they're starting to realize that, that there's something more, and, and whatever they have not fulfilling their needs. You know, we have a lot of people searching for something more right now. Usually they're finding it. Um, they're, they're looking in the wrong places. They're still wanting more things, more money, more power. Yet there's that voice inside
0: that says more, And that voice is coming from the Holy Spirit. And, in fact, the Holy Spirit's whispering in my ear right now that we need to take a break. So we're going to do that. And when we come back, we're going to move just quickly through the other elements of this first dwelling place and then talk uh, with Teresa's guidance on some of the elements that we'll discover in the second dwelling place. Again, this is Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home.